I think they are doing construction in the apartment adjacent to mine. Oh boy, the joys of recording from our homes in New York. I don't know if you could just, if you could hear that, but I could just hear stuff falling down like the drywall hole behind my wall. (laughs) Oh man. New York City! What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the me not wanting the Knicks to do one thing to the Knicks doing that one thing. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Oh, you love to see it, don't you? I personally don't, but I'm I'm sure other people do. (laughs) Oh, just seeing you filled with such dread. I don't enjoy it, but it is amusing. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday, November 19th, the morning right after the NBA draft. We did a live stream on Instagram during the process. And I went from very stressed out Mike because I was afraid the Knicks were going to select one player. And then we selected that player. So I transitioned from stressed out Mike to sad Mike, which is far less fun. But the saving grace is that we didn't do a very bad thing to select the player in that we didn't trade up to get him. He just fell to us and we took him. So I'm still sad, but not angry. <laughs> you're not mad. You're just disappointed. Yeah, pretty much. But your your Bulls made a fun pick. Your Bulls took a player that they didn't think was going to go that high, but he seems like a really nice person in Patrick Williams. So that's <laughs> exciting for you. Yeah. I mean, usually you don't want the first thing uh, said about a player to be that they're a nice person because uh, that implies that perhaps their, their <laughs> basketball leaves something to be desired. But yeah, I don't know a lot about him. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of doing my own research. And, uh, you know, if I determine that he's not the player I want the Bulls to have. I'm just going to call up their GM and just let them know that I'm not happy with it. And I expect that to be remedied. Yeah, let them know. Write a personalized letter, get it notarized so they know it's legit, and just make a really formal complaint. You could do it on a scroll and quill pen. Let them know you mean business. Ah, very much like Ralph Nader. <laughs> call back to a previous episode. We, I will use a quill pen. I will lay out my demands and decrees to the Bulls if I'm not pleased with Patrick Williams. Yeah, I mean, with Obi Toppin, who the Knicks selected, he also seems like a genuinely good person person, which makes it hard for me to be so upset at him. He seems like such a nice guy. When the Knicks selected him, he cried tears of joy because he's from New York. His parents seem very proud of him. So as grumpy as I may be about his basketball skill set and what he brings to my beloved New York Knicks, he at least seems like a good dude. So I will focus on that. And I will focus on all of the fun that Clyde Frazier will have saying OB Toppin, Toppin and Poppin. If he blocks a shot, he'll be Toppin and Stoppin. If he makes a three, it'll be OB from three. There's just going to be a lot of fun wordplay Clyde Frazier is going to have, and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I, I think I mentioned this on our Instagram live last night, but uh, OB looking more like Kobe on that drive. That's going to be fun. It will be fun. The Knicks also took a player named Emmanuel Quickly, and having a last name that is just an adverb is just going to be a field day because if he does anything fast, it's just right there. Right. And then one that I thought of last night was I really genuinely hope at some point Emmanuel quickly does something very good, makes a bunch of buckets. And before they cut to commercial break, Clyde Frazier says, Emmanuel proving he can do well and quickly. Like that would make me so happy. That is, that's pretty good. That is the prediction of a man who watches far too many Knicks games right there. Yep. Yep. That's me. So before we further talk about the wildness that happened in the NBA the past two weeks, we got to take a little bit of a break to prepare for this discussion. And we're going to do that in the Teal Memorial locker room. Teal's doing great. She couldn't catch our live show thing because she had classes, but 
The fact that she has classes means she's applying herself. Yay, Teal! Way to go, Teal. You will finish more classes than most of these NBA draftees. <laughs> you know who else probably finished more classes than these NBA draftees? Could it be our newest patron? It is, in fact, our newest patron. So shout out to Allison G for supporting the show. Thank you so much. And of course, shout out to all of our existing producer-level patrons. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubi-Dubi-Doo, Godzilla got busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang! He sells seashells, LaRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kayoshi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Love it. Mm-hmm. And you know what else I love? Sponsors who let this show happen? I do. They help cover costs, which is important. <laughs> so shout out to our sponsor for this episode, Kitty Poo Club. So I do not have a new cat, but... Let's say hypothetically that you are an NBA player and you just got drafted. You're going to get a bunch of money. What are you going to do? You're going to get a cat. And if you get a cat, you're going to need kitty litter for that cat. But if you're an NBA player, you're probably really busy playing a lot of basketball and you don't want to deal with the hassles of kitty litter. So who could make this easy for you? Kitty Poo Club. Oh man, tell me about it. Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. So each month they deliver an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that is pre-filled with the litter of your choice. These boxes are leak-proof, which seems very important for a cat bathroom situation. They're eco-friendly, which is good from an earth situation. And they have a fun design for every season, which is a this thing has to live in my apartment situation. <laughs> so win, win, win. When the month is up, you just recycle the box and then Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. So you never have to change use litter, which sounds terrible. And you never have to clean the box, which also sounds terrible. I've never had to do these things. I've also never had a desire to do these things. So this feels like a perfect situation if I had a cat. You can customize your order based on how many cats you have and what type of litter they prefer. And Kitty Poo Club has a no risk guarantee and you can easily customize or cancel your order at any time. I love that. I love how you integrated it with the NBA draft. I thought that was perfect. In most years, <laughs> it made less sense this year because they were already in Disney. But usually when somebody wins a championship and a reporter asks them, what are you going to do first? They're like, I'm going to Disney World. And I like that in your mind, when a player gets drafted into the NBA and they're like, what are you going to do first? He's like, I'm buying a cat. Hell yeah, I'm adopting a cat, baby. So right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering horse listeners 20% off their first order when you set up AutoShip by going to kittypooclub.com and entering the promo code HORSE. So just go to kittypooclub.com and enter the promo code HORSE to get 20% off when you set up AutoShip. Again, that's kittypooclub.com. Use that promo code HORSE at checkout. Save 20% when you set up AutoShip and get some fantastic kitty litter that is very hassle-free for your new NBA draft cat today. I love that we get to use promo code horse for a cat product. <laughs> do you think there are any horse products where people use promo code cat? Because that would be fun. That'd be very good. I do sincerely hope one day I get to talk with someone who runs the most popular podcast that is about horses specifically, and they hate us. I really <laughs> want to live in that world where, you know, Horse Monthly or Horse Weekly just despises that the podcast with the most listens is not about horses, but it's just called horse. I look forward to that day. Mm -hmm. So with this taken care of, we can now get into our first segment of the show, which we like to call Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news? I do. Oh, that's very good. Speaking of news, there's a whole lot of news that happened in these past two weeks. There's a lot of NBA things going on. The NBA trade moratorium was lifted, meaning that NBA teams could trade with each other. And then the NBA draft took place, which means a lot of young people now got assigned to NBA teams across the United States. 
States and maybe Canada if the Raptors play in Canada this season and not at the KFC Yum Center. But (laughs) one of the biggest trades that happened was Chris Paul got traded from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Phoenix Suns in an interesting move. I think a good move for both teams because the Thunder didn't really need Chris Paul anymore. They're trying to build for the future and their 3,000 draft picks that they now have. And the Suns are trying to make a little playoff push with their uh, young core, so they brought in some veteran presence. And also, this means the Knicks didn't trade for Chris Paul, so I'm very happy. Why would you not have wanted the Knicks to trade for Chris Paul? They would have had to give up too much, or? A combination of that, and it just doesn't make sense for us. Chris Paul makes sense on the Suns because they have some young players in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Miles Bridges, or is it, no, Macau Bridges? Macau Bridges, he's the one that's on the Suns. They have young players that are already looking good, and they were just shy of making the playoffs this past year, so they just need that little push. Having Chris Paul in there makes sense. Also, you have Devin Booker was growing increasingly grumpy at the situation in Phoenix, so you want to keep him happy, you want to keep him on the team, you bring in some veteran presence that'll help you be good. The Knicks, I don't think we're close enough to make that veteran presence jump. We are very bad at basketball, so I think we should be more focused on developing young people, keeping our picks, keeping our future assets, as opposed to trying to do something that makes you a little bit better in the short term. And the Suns, yeah, they had to give up Kelly Oubre and some young players and some picks, but I think it does make sense for what they're trying to do, which is make the playoffs. Exactly. And for people who didn't follow the bubble that closely, the Suns were kind of the first really good story out of the bubble in that they were one of the fringe teams that got invited and they didn't lose when they were there. Like they won all eight of their games and it still wasn't enough for them to make the playoffs, but like Booker absolutely balled out and uh, it does seem like they're close. And I think that Chris Paul is the kind of guy who could get them over the hump and at least be like a, you know, seven, eight seed next year. Yeah, I think they have a chance to make the playoffs. And what's also exciting for the Suns is that they've really embraced the the fellas moniker, which is something that was found this past season. It was an old Devin Booker tweet. So every now and then there's an NBA Twitter phenomenon where you'll find an old tweet from a player when they were in middle school, since these guys are so young, they first got Twitter when they were 12. Mm -hmm. And there will be some fun tweets. Sometimes it's things that have aged poorly, and that can become a bit of an issue when someone has an offensive tweet. But it's very fun when you have very silly tweets. There's one that goes around where I think Jason Tatum really wanted LeBron to follow him back on Twitter and had met him at a basketball camp. So there's this old tweet where he's like, at LeBron, hey, it's Jason from the basketball camp. Please follow me back, which is very cute. But there was this old Devin Booker tweet where he said, I'm thinking Hooters tonight with the fellas. And (laughs) that became like a rallying cry of the Suns this past season. And now a combination of the Suns. And I think even the NBA tweeted this when the Suns made a draft pick. It said, so-and-so joins the fellas. And even Chris Paul, after the draft, said congratulations to all the fellas who were added to the team tonight. So the Suns have gone full in on calling their team the fellas, which I think is an emergency pivot because they were the Valley Boys, but that was branded by Kelly Oubre, who they traded for Chris Paul. So I think this was a panic. Oh, no. And they even made their jerseys, their city jerseys this year, say the Valley on it. So they went all in on this branding surrounded by this one player starting it and then they trade it. So I think it was a hard pivot of, uh-oh, we can't be the Valley Boys anymore. We must now become the fellas, but I love it. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, I feel like the Hooters and Phoenix Suns color scheme actually is fairly similar. Yeah, you got the orange going over. That's very good. Yeah, I don't think I've ever eaten a meal at Hooters before. That's shocking. You seem like such a Hooters guy, Mike. <laughs> I just don't know if that whole, oh, their wings are actually really good. Like, I don't know if that's an actual thing or if it's just something that straight white dudes say about Hooters to make themselves feel better about going to misogyny the restaurant. (laughs) 
Now that would be a rebrand. <laughs> so that wasn't the only thing that happened. There was a trade that took place, but then didn't take place. It's Schrodinger's trade, if you will. So the Milwaukee Bucks were trying to bolster their roster around Giannis in an effort to keep him. They made one trade that actually happened, which is they traded for Drew Holiday, who is a pretty solid combo guard, a one-two guard on the New Orleans Pelicans. He's very good at defense. He's pretty solid at three-point shooting. He has impeccable skin. It's just uh, another thing going for Drew Holiday. Every time I see him, I'm very jealous as a 20-year-old boy that still has to deal with acne stuff. Very jealous of Drew Holiday's perfect skin. But he was traded to the Bucks for some point guards and a bunch of draft picks, but they really wanted to get a solid guard in Milwaukee. And they also wanted to get a solid wing, three-point shooting guy. So the Bucks and the Kings did a sign-and-trade for a player named Bogdan Bogdanovich, which is just an incredible top 10 NBA name. But unfortunately, the Kings forgot that if you're doing a sign-and-trade, the player has to agree to it. So in the simplest terms, a sign-and-trade happens when a player was on your team, but he's not under contract on your team anymore. So you don't have 100% of the say over where he goes. But because he was just on your team, you can offer him more money than other teams. So what will happen is you'll see a team say, hey, rather than you just sign with the Bucks and get the maximum amount of money the Bucks can offer you, what if we signed you first so you get more money and then we'll trade you to the Bucks? So now you're still playing on the team you want, but you're getting paid more money. And in exchange, we're getting either picks or players or both. So that is what the Kings and the Bucks wanted to do. But in order for this to work, because the Kings no longer have 100% of the say, Bogdan has to agree agree to this. And he didn't. So now we're in a situation where the Kings made a trade that they weren't allowed to make, and Bogdan Bogdanovich is now entering free agency where any team can sign with him. So now the Bucks, if they want to do this, might have to offer him more money. It's just, it's a whole mess. It's just not what you want to see. It seems odd that they wouldn't have made sure that he was on board before going through all of this. Yes, it seems like something you would check first. It seems like something you would have to have very clearly stated before you agreed to it. So I don't know where the miscommunication comes from. This also could be just uh, some sort of mishap of the agent not realizing or the player not realizing or something. Maybe the Kings had it all right and then the player or the agent just made the mistake. So it might not just be, lol, well, look at the Kings making bad decisions, but it's, it's not a good look. <laughs> Yeah, it also might be, lol, look at the Kings making bad decisions. <laughs> so that's a whole debacle. We'll have to see how that shakes out in actual free agency. But then the NBA draft actually took place. And there weren't a lot of whole big spicy explosion things. <laughs> that sounds like something that they would sell at Hooters. <laughs> the new spicy big explosion things. So there weren't any of these giant monumental, oh, the Warriors traded their pick for this. There were all these rumblings of it, and then nothing truly bonkers happened. The biggest surprises would be just different teams picking different players. One thing that I didn't realize until after we finished our Instagram live stream last night is that the Charlotte Hornets drafted LaMelo Ball. LeVar Ball is LaMelo Ball's father. LeVar Ball talked a lot of trash about being able to beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. -on -one. Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Are we going to get the one-on-one? -on -one? Is Michael Jordan, like, we didn't even factor this into consideration, but there's all this, oh, no, LeVar Ball, he's such a problem. Our team's going to deal with him. 
I feel like Michael Jordan's gonna put him in his place very quickly, and this could be very funny. Yeah, cut to Michael Jordan laughing uproariously at an iPad. I really think that's what it's gonna come down to. I think we have found the one team owner that can completely just silence LeVar Ball, and it's Michael Jordan. I think it's a perfect fit. I took that very personally. Exactly. I think there are going to be no shenanigans from the LeVar Ball aura because I think Michael Jordan's just going to squash all of it. I think you might be right. I look forward to it. So there were some other interesting things that took place. The Sixers made a whole lot of different trades. So the Sixers, now run by Daryl Morey, he's trying to get him back on track. And it seems like he did all of the work in one night, which is just very impressive. He's very good at his job. Traded Al Horford and some picks to the Thunder. And then they also made trades where they sent away Josh Richards and picks. There was a whole bunch of stuff going around, but basically what I want to talk about is that Seth Curry is now on the Sixers. Seth Curry is either engaged to or married to Coach Doc Rivers' daughter. Doc Rivers has gone from coaching his own son in the Los Angeles Clippers and Austin Rivers to now his soon-to-be son-in-law in Seth Curry. I love the connections. I had no idea that was the case, and that is very interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of interesting rumblings happening in the NBA. Now that the draft has happened, free agency is set to take place, so we'll have a lot of interesting things going on with teams signing new players, so there will be a lot of things in flux, and there will just be even more for us to talk about in the future. How did you feel about the draft and all the stuff that happened and all the wild trades that have been going on? What have, what have your thoughts been on the uh, the NBA in recent weeks? You know, I, I my thoughts during the draft were kind of along the lines of what we talked about on the last episode of Horse, which is that it's not as fun as it used to be because you can see what's going to happen on Twitter. Like, it really has taken away some of that fun and shock value of seeing the commissioner come out and read a name when you don't know what's happening. But Woj was doing his thing last night. He was a little less creative in terms of his adjectives, but he was nonetheless doing his thing. It was fun. It's just, it's bizarre that this is all happening at the time of year that it's happening. And we're not that far from the season starting. Like, we probably have two or three more episodes before the season will have begun. Unbelievable. That it's, it's unbelievable in that it's such a quick turnaround. It's also unbelievable in that COVID is at the worst it's ever been in America. So it feels like a very bad time to start a professional basketball league. Like, it's very strange to see a league that did the bubble very successfully. And if you look at the COVID numbers now, they're worse. So we should probably wait or do a bubble thing again. I'm scared about how it's actually going to work with actually traveling. I'm worried. I'm, I'm genuinely worried because the numbers are already really bad. And I do not trust people to behave themselves during Thanksgiving and Christmas, and the league is set to start on December 22nd, I'm I'm genuinely very scared. Right, and that's not to be critical of NBA players, but the bottom line is, if the NBA season starts on December 22nd, it's very hard to imagine that none of the NBA players and staff and coaches are going to go spend time with a not insignificant number of family members, as many people are planning to do, and that poses a risk. And even if the players and the coaches and the staff are all incredibly smart and safe and secure, if you're not doing a bubble, that means you're traveling. And even if you're being very smart on your team bus or your team plane, anything where you're moving around is going to increase the risk that you run into one person along the way. You know, you're walking from the parking lot into the stadium and one guy on the sidewalk coughs. Like, it's it's just so much increased risk during a time when the numbers are already bad and I think they're going to get a lot worse after the holidays. And I'm worried for the players. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm scared for them. It felt rushed just on a, they haven't had a long off-season situation, but when you factor in the pandemic 
It's terrifying. Yeah, even if you are being very, very cautious, that's an NBA player or you or I or anyone, there are still unknowns. And I think we're probably going to see in the NBA what we've seen in the NFL and, and with Major League Baseball, where like there are going to be times where things just get shut down. I don't know. I don't even know how to feel. Like I selfishly as a basketball fan, of course, I want to be able to watch it. But especially when it comes to like the vaccine and how that gets rolled out. I'm sorry, but like sports should not be a priority. And this mm -hmm. is coming from somebody who absolutely loves sports more than just about anything in my life, if we're including NBA players with first responders, I think that indicates something fundamentally wrong with our society. Yeah, I agree. I would hope that they are not as high on the list. I would hope that you give it to the people who really need it because sports are nice, but they're not essential by any means. So we'll just have to see how it all shakes out. But I think the safest thing to do is probably make a bubble around the KFC Yum Center. Yes. And then every game has to take place in the KFC Yum Center. And then we can just consistently talk about the KFC Yum Center every single day. And I think that's probably a perfect situation. I think so, too. The only thing I would add to that proposal is that we give the vaccine to 29 of the teams, but not the Knicks, because, man, has any team ever been less essential than the New York Knicks? Oh, man, that was good. That was good. What a way to end our first segment, Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news. I get it. <laughs> one, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. All right, so for this week's three on three, we have the three best and three worst NBA draft night outfits. Smart decision. Oh, yeah. I texted you last night. I was planning to do three on three best and worst draft picks. And you know what? It's interesting to me, but not as interesting as this. Now, you might be asking, Adam, you do know this is a podcast, right? This is not a visual medium. Uh, and you know what? Valid point. But I submit that it is more fun to picture what I'm describing and then look it up while you're listening. <laughs> to me, this is a challenge in how good of a picture I can paint. You are a professional storyteller in that you are a professional stand-up comedian, so I trust your ability to describe these absurd clothing choices. I appreciate it. I am, however, also colorblind, and that is a big impediment. <gasps> me too! What type of colorblind are you? Um, anything that's close, basically, like uh, red, green, blue, purple, um, like a, you know, like a bright yellow and a bright green. Okay, okay. Red, brown, occasionally. Yeah, anything, anything that's similar. I'm very specifically blue and purple, where if you show me something that's indigo, I couldn't tell you which way it falls. And then if I ever see light blue on red, it hurts my eyes. Uh, like I can still make it out, but it just it's just, it just hurts. I am the kind of colorblind where every year on Christmas, I get super pissed when there are teams wearing red and oh. green jerseys. It's really inconsiderate to the colorblind community. Uh, the worst I've ever seen was I had a friend in high school. Our school was red and we were playing a team in basketball that was green. And we were wearing red jerseys and they were wearing green jerseys. And he said, why are both teams wearing green? And I was floored. I actually have made that mistake. Like I've been in rec basketball leagues where the jerseys are too similar and I will pass it to the wrong team. Oh no, gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, it's not, it's not fun. Anyway, best and worst draft night outfits. In this case, worst is actually more fun. So let's start with best. <laughs> okay, good, good, I agree. My criteria for best were as follows. How dope is the outfit? Does it actually fit this human being's body? Uh, is this person wearing it confidently? And would I wear it? Pretty good, I like it. I like that the first criteria is how dope is it? I like the dope meter being important. The dope meter is very important. So starting off, number three, we're gonna go with Hakeem Olajuwon, Hakeem the Dream, in 1984. Now, to give a little context, 1984 is considered to be one of the greatest drafts in NBA history, with Hakeem Olajuwon going first. Some player out of North Carolina named, and, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this correctly, M Mich Michelle J Jordans? 
Is that close? Michel Jordan, he's French. Ah, right, 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 yes. Very talented Frenchman from what I understand. Jordan went third, Charles Barkley went fifth, and John Stockton went 16th overall. So like stacked. Four of the greatest basketball players ever came out of that draft. Now, Hakeem is considered one of the greatest centers in NBA history, and much like Sue Bird, has a Wikipedia list of accomplishments that literally doesn't even fit on the screen. So I'm not even gonna list them. But what was he wearing? Now, some might say he played it safe, but to me, there's nothing quite like a crisp tuxedo. It is clean. It's clean, dude. And Hakeem is a very large man, but this puppy was perfectly tailored. And the photo is fantastic. He is shaking the hand of a very young, at that time, brand new NBA commissioner, David Stern, with a brutal mustache (laughs) standing in front of the flimsiest looking screen printed NBA banner I have ever seen. It was a very different time. Like the NBA draft was not televised at that time. It was like something that would happen in like a hotel banquet room. The thing about this banner that is so bad is first, it's very glossy. It's very, very shiny. And it has the NBA logo on it. And it says National Basketball Association, which I don't think I've ever seen written out because usually you have the NBA logo and then it describes whatever event is taking place. Like it would say NBA draft 1984 or NBA playoffs, whatever. So the fact that they just have a banner that has the NBA logo and the National Basketball Association looks fake. Like it looks like they took this picture at a knockoff aisle at Target when your mom tries to get you a fake Knicks jersey kind of thing. The NBA was so unpopular at the time that they literally still had to explain what the acronym meant to people. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, have you ever worn a tux that looks like that? Have you ever worn like a crisp black tux for any occasion? Yes, twice. Once for prom. So I went to an all-boys high school in Houston, and my girlfriend at the time went to an all-girls high school. So my thought was we'd be going to my prom, and then two weeks later, we'd be going to her prom. So when it came to either renting the tux or buying the tux, buying it costs less than renting it twice. So I told my parents, we should probably just buy it because I'm going to be wearing this twice. But the problem was I went to prom and then my girlfriend broke up with me three days later. I was hoping that's how this story would go. That's so funny. So I wore that once. I think it's still in my closet. I'd never touch it. And then I rented a tux to be in my sister's wedding. I was a groomsman and I wore a very, very clean tux. I thought you were just going to say that you still wore it a second time the night of her prom, but you just cried wearing your tux alone in your bed. That could have been an option, but uh, I also just never knew when her prom was because she never asked me, so I didn't know the date. (laughs) I love that your rationale for not being broken up with would have been like, but I just bought this tux. I mean, also, we ended up having a a discussion about it afterwards, but I I did ask her, when did you know that you were going to end this. And she said she knew a couple days before prom, but quote, she felt bad breaking up with me right before prom. And I was like, you know what's worse? Going to prom with someone who doesn't like you because she was awkward the entire night. And I couldn't find out until Monday when she broke up with me. I would have loved to go stag to that prom and not have to deal with a awkward redacted, but you know, high school man. You know what? It all worked out in the end. I don't know about her, but you seem to be doing great. I'm doing all right. (laughs) All right, moving on. At number two, we have Cam Reddish in 2019. Now, I know this seems like a random pick, and it probably is, but just look at that outfit. It's one of those things that most people would never have the confidence to even attempt to pull off, but he is rocking the shit out of that. It's good. Yeah, it's essentially skinny black dress pants, swaggy ass loafers, a black button down, an unbelievably fire patterned coat, and then a simple gold mm-hmm. chain. Like, how would you describe that coat? I would describe it as it could be on a Two Chains album cover. Mm. Like, it could be the background of a nice rap album cover with something expensive. 
Like it could be that and then a big necklace or that and a bunch of rings and you'd say, ah, because it just looks classy. It almost feels like an old school church. Like you could see this pattern on a stained glass window or like a priest robe. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very fancy looking. But I think what makes this outfit so good is that the pattern on this jacket, it's a lot going on, but it's only one color and that it's only gold. And the only other color thing that he is wearing is black. So the whole outfit is either black or gold. Plain black shirt, gold chain. Black and gold jacket. Plain black pants. Mostly black shoes with a gold topping on top of the loafers. I think it's smart for him to do this because it's an outfit that is daring, but also a bit reserved at the same time. It's genius. He looks fantastic. Yeah, it's like just on that line of looking a little garish, but it doesn't cross the line. Right. It looks very intentional which is what's great. And even down to the details of he's wearing a watch and a little rubber wrist bracelet thing, and those are both black. So he's very committed to the color scheme, and it looks very put together. I like it. It's not outlandish for the sake of making a statement. It is flashy, but it works. I really enjoy this look. It's very nice. And uh, there was actually an article on askmen.com where Cam Reddish was interviewed and he goes, I'm definitely a pretty laid back guy when it comes to style, considering I'm usually in sweats at the gym or on the court. But for the biggest night of my life, I'm bringing something different, exciting and special, which I feel like he completely nailed. So the suit is a fully customized JFJ Farrar suit, which means nothing to me, but sounds fancy. And uh, yeah, this was a really cool touch too. I like this note. It included a personalized liner featuring Mama Jones, a Duke teammate's mother who was battling breast cancer at the time, and also mementos of his own family faith and his alma mater. See, that is what you're supposed to do for an inside lining. That's become a trend among draftees in the NBA is you get something personal to you on the inside lining. RJ Barrett is from Canada. He had the Canadian flag on his inside lining. But Kevin Knox, who's also on the Knicks, he had the Fortnite logo on the inside of his jacket, which was an immediate red flag. <laughs> yeah, that's caring about Fortnite night an awful lot to have that be your mm -hmm. accent. Not great. Not great. Oh, well. At number one, my man, Wendell Carter Jr. in 2018. Oh, okay. Now, I realize there's some bias involved as <laughs> Wendell Carter is on my beloved Chicago Bulls, but take a look at that outfit and good luck arguing with me on this one. My dude went with a full-on Black Panther-themed outfit, including literally doing the Wakanda Forever thing when he got on stage to meet Adam Silver. Not only was he wearing this, but both of his parents were also rocking outfits inspired by the film. And the outfit consisted of a tapered black Gucci suit, a Gucci belt, and a scarf very reminiscent of one that Chadwick Boseman, R.I.P., wore in the film. And he just looked freaking dope. So when you first sent this, I thought he was going to be on one of the worst because it was cheesy in that he wore all of the Black Panther stuff. But as I zoom in and as you just described, literally everything he's wearing is from Gucci and that has flipped the script. The <laughs> scarf is from Gucci. The belt is Gucci. Everything else is Gucci as you have described. So I've come around on this... <laughs> outfit because he basically said, I want Black Panther, but also can it please be a name brand that will give me lots of respect? And he made it work. I mean, it does look good. If you take off the very obviously trying to do the Chadwick Boseman Black Panther look scarf, it's a nice suit. It's a black suit with some subtle pattering underneath, so it works really well. The scarf makes it an obvious nod, but it's not like as ridiculous. And you know what? After having 38,000 white people superhero movies, I think it's totally okay that people were very happy to have Black Panther for a change. Yeah, I mean, my decision was heavily biased by liking the Bulls and feeling sad about Chadwick Boseman, but I stand by it. Yeah, it's a good look. Wendell Carter is making it work, so I support your decision. Thank you, I appreciate that. We now move on to the worst outfits in 
NBA draft history, and oh boy, were there a lot to choose from. Uh, that that expanded five on five for our Patreon is not going to be hard to accomplish here. Now, in some cases, it was just a product of the styles popular in the era where these guys were drafted. But there are some truly brutal choices across the board. Now, in particular, I highly recommend checking out photos from 2003, oh. an NBA draft class in which LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh comprised four of the first five picks. And there's an amazing piece from Bleacher Report in 2018 titled, 15 years ago, the NBA's best draft class wore the worst suits of their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the article isn't wrong. Like, Take a look at the photo I sent you. It's re- it's really bad. Everyone is dressed like Steve Harvey hosting Family Feud. Kirk Heinrich might look the most out of place of anyone, but they all look absolutely ridiculous. What I'll say about Kirk Heinrich is that as a white dude with bad hair, he doesn't look incredibly out of place wearing an oversized suit. Like it does look like his dad just lent him a suit. Dwayne Wade looks very put together from the neck up, but his <laughs> shirt and his tie looks good. But once you look a little farther down and you realize that his sleeves are very large and his pants are ungodly large, I think he has the largest oversized range of pant to leg. It's I don't get why this was a thing. Like I can get baggy jeans, but baggy suit? I don't understand. Everyone looks like they didn't have a suit, so they had to borrow their dad's suit and they're trying their best. Yeah, it's literally like the kind of suit that in Little Rascals, like two kids would stand on top of each other's shoulders and try to go to a store. And Kirk Heinrich, yeah, his hair always to me was very like Julius Caesar-esque. It's just like this weird like flat mop on top of his head. So let's start with this draft. Coming in at number three on my worst out fits. We've got LeBron James from that draft who that fateful night rocked an all-white suit that could have fit at least two more LeBron Jameses in it. (laughs) The style at that time, as we alluded to, was to wear everything as baggy as possible and Bron did not disappoint. The best part is even though everyone else was dressed horribly, even the other players were giving him shit for it at the time. So there's a quote from Dwayne Wade that night where he says, it looks like he took the hotel bed sheets and just wrapped them around him. (laughs) Uh, Also, the shoes are really bad. Oh, I'll get to the shoes. Don't worry about that. Okay, good. So in this Bleacher Report article, they do interviews with players, but also with some of the stylists involved in creating these outfits. And Rachel Johnson, LeBron's stylist at the time, is quoted in that 2018 article as saying, it's obviously cut much too big for him. There are way too many buttons. The lapel is too high. All of that white is something I feel like a gentleman getting married would wear or a minister christening children. Those shoes. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the quote of the article came from Carmelo Anthony's stylist, Kalila Beavers, who said, he looked like a marshmallow. You couldn't miss him. <laughs> he does look really bad. And I will say strangely, Carmelo, of all of these bad suits, has the best bad suit. I guess he does. I mean, that's not saying too much, but... It's a low bar, but yeah. he. Do- I will give his stylist the ability to make fun of LeBron the most because Carmelo looks the most put together of these not well put together men. Well said. Now, coming in at number two is Trey Young in 2018. <sighs> now... To me, this is particularly egregious because we have good clothes now. This isn't 2003. (laughs) There's literally no excuse for him to dress this poorly. Trey Young's draft day outfit could only be described as Pinocchio finding out that he's a real boy. It's... (laughs) Absolutely batshit bonkers how ugly this outfit is. Now, for some reason that is still not clear to me, Trey rocked suit shorts. The reason is that LeBron did it in the playoffs either the year prior or two years prior. That's what it is. I don't like that look on anybody, but LeBron I kind of understand. And also he's LeBron. Like he can dress like a marshmallow if he wants to. So (laughs) 
Trey, in his case, it was a burgundy suit with shorts instead of pants and sockless shoes, which I don't inherently have an issue with that. But the thing I don't understand is Trey has scrawny ass legs. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think those shorts look good on anybody. But as they would say on Twitter, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would argue that Trey, while exceptional at basketball, is already kind of an odd looking character. And he certainly did not do himself any favors with his outfit. What's funny in the two photos that you send me, and these are the photos we'll put on our episode page of horsehoops.com, is in the first one where he is coming out and high-fiving a bunch of people, he looks not atrocious, but bad. The shorts are a bad look. If they were just pants, it would be nice. But the thing is, when you're wearing shorts to a fancy event like this, you just look out of place inherently. Right. But in the second photo where he's actually shaking Adam Silver's hand, he looks maybe 12 years old. The shorts just make you look like a kid. And you're right, his legs are quite scrawny. Also, I've never been a big fan of black undershirt, black tie, in addition to his jacket, which has a black collaring. I don't know what to call the things that come down the sides of a tuxedo, but you know how those are a different color? It's yeah. just a lot of black. So his torso just looks like this melding of black <laughs> and it's confusing on the eyes. It's just not good. It's close to being a good suit if he was just wearing pants. Man, if he just changed that one huge detail, it would be a good suit. (laughs) Yeah, even when LeBron did this shorts look, I don't think it works. I think if you're going to do this suit shorts thing, it has to look appropriate in that it has to be like an obnoxious summer suit, like a seersucker suit or a very light colored suit. When you wear a dark, classy color, LeBron's was charcoal. This one is a mahogany or burgundy. It just looks wrong. It, I, and maybe this is all, oh, society has told us what a suit is supposed to look like. Sure, it looks strange. It looks very strange. But you've actually provided me a perfect transition in your mention of seersucker suits <laughs> for our number one pick, which should probably be fairly obvious to anyone who has followed the NBA for any period of time. Coming in at number one, Joachim Noah and his hideous seersucker suit. Joachim! Now, since I gave a Bulls draft pick the number one spot in the best category, it only seemed fair to balance it out by doing the same for the worst. In 2007, the Bulls used their first round pick to draft Joachim Noah ninth overall. And on that day, Noah dressed like one of the white people at that weird garden party in Get Out. Ooh, good reference, good reference. Do you know the term dandy? Like, that's how I would describe this suit. He's dressed like a dandy. A few things came to mind when I saw this suit. The first was was magician. The second was blackjack dealer on a cruise. And the third was what the douchey football jock villain wears in a high school movie where he goes to prom. Yes, I like all those references. Magician especially. Like, it's the kind of suit that would make more sense with a dove coming out of his pocket than a pocket square. Mm -hmm. Or if he was wearing a top hat. It's like a creamed color, darker creamed color lining with an obnoxious bow tie. And just the way that the jacket falls just feels like it's a novelty suit, not a real suit a human being is trying to wear in an event where he looks nice. Yeah, it's like a comically large bow tie that looks like the pattern of any comforter at any Ramada Inn you've ever stayed at. And intentionally unkempt hair that pops out of the side of his draft day hat. Now, the best part of this picture to me is always that he's shaking David Stern's hand and making this goofy face like a naughty kid in high school trying to piss off his parents on yearbook day. Like, it has that vibe of knowing that what he's doing is absurd and completely embracing it, which I do kind of respect. Yeah, he is also throwing up a peace sign with his free hand, so it weirdly makes the look make more sense because you're right, it makes him feel more like a kid 
And you can't blame a kid for wearing a bad suit. It's what kids do. No, the bottom line is he's just having a lot of fun with it, which I certainly mm-hmm. applaud. So everything about this is the absolute best, which also makes it my consensus for the absolute worst. And uh, I know I know this is three on three, but Joe Kim Noah's suit, that actually happened. <laughs> So with the three on three complete, we now get to the actual that actually happened. I wanted something that would make me very happy because the NBA draft last night made me very sad. And something that makes me very happy is a player that we've talked about a good chunk that I want to talk about more. And I want to talk about this specific incident that happened in 2018. There was a time when Jimmy Butler destroyed the Minnesota Timberwolves with a bunch of scrub third string players and then got traded very soon after that actually happened. Nice. Do you recall this event taking place? It was a a big deal in the NBA. I do remember it. I don't know the specifics of it, but I do remember a lot of people chattering about it. Well, here come the specifics. So let me take you back to the year 2018, where things were bad, but not colossally bad, I guess. So October 2018, this is before the 2018-2019 NBA season has started. Jimmy Butler has finished a year on the Timberwolves and he is upset. There was lots of talk and rumors about him not getting along with the players on the team, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins most notably, because they didn't try really hard and Jimmy Butler's entire existence is trying really hard. So he had requested a trade during the offseason and the Minnesota Timberwolves just did not get a trade and it was getting closer and closer to the season starting and it was getting more and more awkward. So Adrian Wojnarowski wrote an article about this event on October 10th. Three weeks prior, Jimmy Butler had officially requested a trade with Tom Thibodeau, who was running the basketball operations for the Timberwolves, and they just hadn't had a trade. He had kept his distance during the entire offseason, and he hadn't been playing in preseason games either, which were starting. So you know how close it is to the NBA season. But this event where he destroyed the team, this is his first practice, and there was a great quote from a Wolves beat writer, John Krasinski. He said, quote, The Wolves expected when Jimmy Butler came back, he would be a professional. This was a miscalculation on the Wolves' part. Are you just glossing over the fact that this guy's name is John Krasinski? Yeah, I think it's it's like Krasinski. It's spelled a little differently, but yeah, I I don't think it's uh, Jim from The Office. Okay, just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Leading a double life as a Wolves beat reporter. So Woj in this article describes Jimmy Butler in this practice as, quote, vociferous and intense throughout the scrimmages, saying that he was targeting the president of basketball operations and coach Tom Thibodeau, the general manager, Scott Layden, and teammates, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. There was a source whose name is, and I shit you not, Johnny Athletic, which feels like a fake name. He confirmed the story that Jimmy Butler and a bunch of third string guys, so backups to the backups, beat a team of the Wolves starters. So the people that Jimmy Butler played with included James Nunnally and CJ Williams. Now, listeners at home, you might not have heard these names. Adam, you've probably never heard these names. I have never heard these names before because let me just give you the quick career numbers for James Nunnally and CJ Williams both of whom have not played a game of professional basketball since the year 2019, so this was their last season both. 
James averaged a blistering 2.9 points per game, 0.9 rebounds per game, and 0.5 assists per game, and CJ Williams put up a staggering 4.7 points per game, 1.2 rebounds per game, and 1.0 assists per game. I feel like Jimmy Athletic could score that much. Johnny Athletic, how dare you? <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, I, I misspoke. I'm very, very sorry to disrespect the legacy of Johnny Athletic. First of all, just hearing the intro to this, like, this sounds like some Jordan shit. Oh, yes. This is like, I am going to demoralize you to make a point. Pretty much. So this scrimmage takes place, and there was a lot of different rumble that started to come out about it. According to Chris Haynes from Yahoo, Butler at one point was guarding Carl Anthony Towns, the Wolves' best player at the time, and he was guarding him in the post, and Jimmy Butler said, quote, he can't do shit against me. Towns then passed the ball. <laughs> After Jimmy said this. Oh, that is not taking the challenge. So Jimmy comes in with these third string dudes, his first practice back, just absolutely wrecks the starters, and then goes over to Scott Layden, the GM, and says, you fucking need me, Scott. The adding Scott is huge. You fucking need me, Scott. You can't win without me. And then he leaves. He leaves the practice. Wow. Mic drop. So both Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins reportedly did not confront Butler at any point, but Wiggins did give Butler, quote, a hand dap before Butler stormed out. This is reported by Adrian Wojnarowski is that a hand dap took place between the two. Wiggins was lasering in on a hand dap. <laughs> so what was increasingly ridiculous about this is that this practice took place immediately after some stuff started to leak out. But that night, Jimmy Butler had an interview scheduled with Rachel Nichols, separate from this. But it just happened to take place where their interview was scheduled for that night. And Rachel Nichols said she texted Jimmy Butler and said, you know we have to talk about this, right? So in this interview, Jimmy Butler said just the best quotes. Just absolutely the best quotes. Before we get into it, though, uh, Woj did report in the final lines that Jimmy Butler, quote, dominated the gym in every way and then just walked out. And he also described players as being energized by Butler's performance, just that he destroyed everyone so hard that they were inspired. That's that's wild. So the Rachel Nichols interview happens that night, comes out either the next day or the day after. And Rachel, after asking him some general basketball stuff, finally gets to what everyone wants to hear about, which is the practice. So about the practice, Jimmy Butler says, quote, a lot of it is true. I haven't played basketball in so long. I'm so passionate. I don't do it for any reason but to compete. All my emotion comes out in one time. Was it the right way? No. But I can't control that when I'm out there competing. That's raw me. Me at my finest. Me at my purest. Inside the lines. Which I've never related to a quote more. Because when I play basketball, I am not a nice person at all. And you can attest to this, Adam Mamawala. I know. I almost had the question inviting you to the pickup game. I was like, man, I, I only know non-basketball Mike. And he's uh, he's aggressive. I respect <laughs> it, though. Hey, you're a man of conviction. I, I When you're playing basketball, it's not real life. It's pretend. And uh, I do what it takes to win. And sometimes that means annoying people. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking them down. <laughs> so Jimmy goes on to say, quote, everyone is so scared to be honest. If you don't like the way I handled myself in practice, one of the players should come up to me. Somebody should say something. Anybody. It's not personal, which, again, I agree with. So Butler tells Rachel Nichols that he planned to practice with the team again Thursday, you know, their next scheduled practice, but the team canceled the session. <laughs> so after this ridiculous practice took place. They canceled their next practice so that Jimmy Butler could not come to practice. Wow. Jimmy Butler talking about Carl Anthony Towns in this interview said, quote, am I being tough on him? 
yeah, that's who I am. I'm not the most talented player on the team. Who's the most talented player on the team? Carl Anthony Towns. Who's the most God-gifted player on the team? Andrew Wiggins. Who plays the hardest? Me. I play hard. I put my body on the line every day in practice, every day in games. That's my passion. Everybody leads in different ways. That's how I show I'm here for you. So just a great quote showing that Jimmy Butler really cares, and he wants the best, and he's frustrated in his teammates' lack of effort. Yeah, and he sure as hell proved that this year, if anyone doubted it. Definitely. These quotes have aged the best of anything I think possible. So... He then went on more about how his frustrations with the team are these players not trying very hard. And Rachel Nichols then asked, did this practice fix things? Can the relationship be fixed, etc.?" And Butler says, quote, it's not fixed. Let's be honest. And then Rachel said, could it be fixed? And he said, it could be. Do I think so? Like, do I think it will be fixed? Do I think so? No. Man, <laughs> he's not pulling any punches. He's not pulling any punches at all. So that all took place very soon after a trade was put together. He almost went to the Miami Heat. It was very close to happening, which is funny looking back now that he's on the Heat, but he did end up getting traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. And this is where things get even more interesting because on the Philadelphia 76ers at the time was J.J. Redick, who ran a podcast at the time, still hosts a podcast where he interviews lots of players. Sue Bird has been on his podcast many times. He interviewed Jimmy Butler in December of 2018, so two months after the fact. And he said, yo, we got to talk about the practice. So they talk about the practice, and Jimmy Butler spills even more details, and it's juicy. <laughs> Let me hear it. So J.J. Redick first is like, this interview with Rachel Nichols had to be premeditated, right? And this is where Jimmy Butler says, no, we had it scheduled three weeks in advance and it just happened to happen like this. He goes into a little bit more detail about why he wasn't at practice and why he was so angry. So apparently the front office really wanted Jimmy Butler to practice. And he didn't want to go in because he was thinking, why am I going to go and practice with the team if you guys are actively looking for a trade for me for the past three weeks? And he said that the front office had been telling him that they were close to getting a trade. So his thought was, why am I going to do this if you are going to just trade me? It seems like a waste of time. Which is fair. Yeah, super fair argument. And he said in this podcast, like specifically, it was just because they kept telling him a trade was close. If they had told him that a trade wasn't close, maybe he would come in, but they kept reassuring him that they were very close to finding a deal for him, so he didn't want to come in. So Jimmy Butler then goes on to say that he was talking to Wolves management and this exchange took place. So from here on out, I will be quoting Jimmy Butler. Somebody from management said, you're going to practice. Now, first of all, I have a for real problem with authority. When somebody's telling me what to do as a grown man, I have a problem with it. So now you've done lit the match, but ain't nothing on fire yet. You just lit the match. I was like, first of all, you're not gonna tell me what I'm gonna do. If I choose to practice, I'll choose to practice. And I'm like, nah, I don't know just yet. And then he was like, no, you're gonna practice. Now you're getting that fire a little too close to me. So I'm like, let me tell you something. If I'm going to practice, I'll come off the bench. Like I'll play with the second group if I want to, as long as I'm out there and practice, boom. But this person goes, no, you're gonna play with the starters. There you go, you did got me now. No, I'm not. I'm gonna play with the third stringers. Now what? I'm telling them I don't think it's a good idea to do it because I know whenever I go in there, I'm there to basically just prove a point. So we go into the practice and I'm telling Tibbs, I just wanna hoop. And we start doing some drills. And then at the end, we start hooping. Now that's when all this stuff goes on. We play, we win, and I'm yapping, I'm yapping. I talk, I'm always talking. I'm talking about how somebody can't guard me or nobody can beat me. I do that, that's what I do. This time it was just a little bit different because of whose team I was on and I ain't been around and it was just taken up a notch and it didn't help who was watching. Ownership, management, all of that good stuff. I can just 
hear him, even though I was just reading these quotes, I can just hear Jimmy Butler saying them. And I listened to this podcast episode with an ear to ear smile when it came out. It, ugh, it's just so juicy. First of all, let me just commend you on an excellent reading of that. And nothing <laughs> would bring me more joy than to believe that someday some 18 year old Tisch School of the Arts NYU student does a dramatic monologue <laughs> reading of exactly what you just shared with us on this podcast, because that was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Jimmy Butler in this podcast with J.J. Reddick then went on to say that he was confused about all of the stuff leaking because Jimmy Butler wasn't going to leak any of the stuff, but he was confused that everyone talked about it. And he even went on to say, why would you tell people that I was playing with the third stringers and I beat the starters? That's just embarrassing. <laughs> but I will end out this segment the way that Jimmy Butler ended the interaction with J.J. Redick on this podcast about the practice. So Jimmy Butler said, quote, seriously, everybody wanted to beat me to show. The crazy part is the most interesting detail wasn't told. I only shot the ball once. Wow. And J.J. Redick goes, what? Every quote coming out of there was like, quote, Jimmy was getting buckets. He was dominating. And Jimmy Butler says, oh, I was dominating, but I only shot the ball once. Dimes, boom, boom, boom. Steals, blocks, I only shot the ball one time. So you already have a practice where Jimmy Butler is playing with the worst players on the team against the best players on a team, and he's destroying them. He is talking trash to the players. He's talking trash to the coach. He's telling Scott that they fucking need him and they can't win without him. And on top of all of this, he only shot the ball once. So that means it wasn't a one-on-five job. It means that Jimmy Butler took this band of scrubs that I can only assume the other players were the janitor and the radio announcer. Johnny Athletic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Johnny Athletic and Jimmy Athletic, his brother. And he made them the reason they won the game. It's already taking the best possible situation ever and making it even better. It's not even the cherry on top of the milkshake. It's like when you have the milkshake and then the waiter comes by with the free refill that you didn't know it came with. It's so perfect. And that final detail, the fact that it didn't even come out till two months later, just makes it so wonderful. And I love that this actually happened. Oh, that was great. I enjoyed that. Makes me happy in a world where the Knicks made me sad again last night. Remembering that this took place made me happy. And I just love Jimmy Butler, man. Dude, so do I. I feel like a proud parent when I watch Jimmy Butler, like having seen, <laughs> no, really, like having seen him as, as big of a Bulls fan as I was to see him really develop and, and come out of his shell personality wise and on the floor as a guy who used to play like a couple minutes a game and then just slowly earned mm -hmm. his way into the circle of trust. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. And I'm happy for his success in Miami and I hope it continues. Same here. He's, he's a fun player. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Adam Mamawala. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campamanes. The art is by Allison Wakeman. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shuby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, LeRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri. No jazz, no pizza, Aline Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, and don't go chasing Taco Falls. <laughs> I got I got so caught up in that that I forgot what to say next. All right. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... The Horse Hoops Twitter lost to Jimmy Butler in that scrimmage. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty serious. embarrassing. Go to our website, horsehoops.com. <laughs> for some of the stuff we talked about today, more fun, terrible, and great outfits from the NBA draft, probably a link to that Jimmy Butler interview with JJ Redick, a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you want some bonus content like Adam and I talking about basketball stuff, videos of us talking about basketball stuff, text of us 
writing about basketball stuff, as well as physical items such as stickers and horse jerseys, you can head on over to patreon.com slash horse hoops. And also thanks to Multitude for having us on the network. Got a lot of fun podcasts over at Multitude. We also got a lot of fun merch. Horse has some merch. You can get that wonderful stuff. We're going to be adding new digital merch soon with ringtones and wallpapers. We already got some digital merch there in our Sub Nerds It's Basketball shirt. There will be sales going on for the holiday season. So check out all of the Multitude merch, including horse stuff at multitude.productions slash merch. Hell yeah. So as we round out the episode, as we always do, we put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I feel like to ride the Jimmy Butler momentum, I kind of want to say you need me, you can't win without me on the count of three. I was going to say Obi on three, but I'll, I'll spare you. Yeah, it'll be in the back of my heart and hopefully Obi can uh, prove me wrong. Uh, and he can say this to me one day, proving me wrong about my doubts in his ability to make the Knicks good. Fair enough, fair enough. So what are we saying? What's the quote? You need me, Scott. You can't win without me. All right, let's do it. One, two, three. You, you need, need me, Scott. Scott. You, you can't, can't win, win without, without me. me. <laughs> Adding Scott is just so good. It is so funny. It's just a name, but to be like, shut up, Mike. Mm -hmm. It's like, it just, ah, just hits different. It's really good. It's really good. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.